Nuclear. Now is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. We're going to get into some things that are a little bit subtle today, really, and uh, You sent me a sentence, and I'm not going to pass any judgment, but apparently the two of you were listening to Sean Hannity, and he had to say about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, he said, she's the person that's really leading the Democratic Party. Uh, Now, uh, setting aside the veracity of the statement, what he said again, she's the person that's really leading the Democratic Party. And I think what he meant uh, in this case is she's the person who is really leading the Democratic Party. Is that correct? Well, here we go. Now, this is what got us. Okay. Normally, I would I would have said, yes, you're correct. It should be who. However, Kathy? What we found in doing this, because we're people that correct people or ourselves, certainly, and change that's to who's. What we found is that's not actually a rule. Really? There is no rule in the English language that distinguishes between that and who when using a person in that sort of in that sort of statement. Both oh, are equally correct. I am, uh, I, wow. I, you know, I do copy editing for, for a number of people I produce here, and I always changed that to who. I really honestly thought that that was a rule. So do we. Same we here. always change that to who in those, in those situations. But in all cases, there was no need to. There has never been any need to do so. I think personally, and I think Kathy would agree, I still use who for people and that for inanimate objects. And I will continue to do so. But there is no big rule in the English language that says you should. Interestingly enough, that was the first relative pronoun. And, and, and for about 800 years, it has been used to speak of people, animals, things, everything. Then only 300 years ago, did who start entering in for the clauses, which is a very different, for, for people or animals, you could use who for an animal as well, but never for things. So then you ended up with the who that conundrum and people like us, all three of us apparently, assuming that who was definitely the correct one to use. Whoa, back up for just one second, and I don't mean to interrupt, but you can use who for an animal? Yeah. <laughs> That, well, I'm, because we anthropomorphize them. I don't know about you, but I mean, like my cat. My cat, who the cat here yeah, is a okay. person, I can, I can and he see knows that. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to do that from now on. By the way. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's that's a, that's really interesting that it only showed up uh, about 300 years ago. No, it's it, it really shocked all of us. I think it shocked Kathy and myself, and it probably shocked you too, Kathy and me and, and you. I, I, really I hope surprised. I sound shocked because I am. <laughs> I know. We were too. I mean, the thing is, though. I mean, like. Oxford says they argue sometimes that should be used and they say it's kind of true to say who is oh wait a second I'm getting all all bollocked up who is definitely for humans and sometimes animals depending on whether you consider animals you know of human like characteristics right sure that though they say is just flexible so you've got who which is definitely restricted you can't say the house who looks over you know who who is over the street although I'm going to interrupt Kathy here but you do use the possessive whose with something like the house whose roof fell in. You don't say Do the you? house. No, well, this is going to bother me. Wait a second. The house whose the house. You don't say the house, that's... the roof of which fell in. I mean, you guess you could. 
But I don't know. Do you really say the house whose roof fell in? I'm gonna look at something. Does that exist? That feels that feels really weird. But I don't know what else I would say in that situation. The how the house whose roof the house the house is. I mean, I mean, you could you could you could you could rewrite it to say something else. Yeah, actually, okay. I'm looking. I just I just it's I'm looking online and I'm finding it. The house whose roof is yellow. The house whose roof is red. Possessive case of which. Oh my God! I'm frightened. Now. But I mean, I but think about it. it though. You definitely would use who there. Yeah. I would never use. I would never. I mean, I would. You could rewrite the sentence to make it more different, different, or more elegant. But I would never say the house, the windows of which, are red. And you can't say the house which basement was flooded or the house yeah. whose basement was flooded. Yeah, and you wouldn't say the house that's basement was flooded because that wouldn't make any sense either. No. So, so yeah, I, I can see the who in in that sense. But okay, so there's no rule that says it needs to be that or who. So, so Mr. Hannity was technically fine in saying she's the person that's really leading the Democratic Party. I think it maybe it's clear to me why we think it's a rule just because it 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 does personalize the, i guess the person uh we're talking about when we say who but i mean is the, is that why that developed do you have any idea that seems to be it does seem to be that it sounds more polite but then another interesting thing is that in england that is more frequently used than it is here the english will almost very commonly use that for people Whereas Americans tend to be a little more fastidious and say who for people. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think not to sound like, you know, a sociologist or something, but I, I think it's a whole part of that whole American ostensible used to be inclusiveness. Um, you know, we're, we're sort of more folksy than the Brits. So who sounds like more like, you know, yes, we are all people to me. I mean, I'm not saying that as a definite, but that's my thought. But yeah, the, the thing that shocks me, though, is that it is not a rule at all. The other reason maybe that it's more British than American could be that Britain has a longer tradition of, of English speaking, obviously. Immigrants came over at a certain period of time from England into the States, pretty much, in the 17 and 18, early 1800s. And then English got fossilized, and that could have been the time when who entered into the language. I don't know. That's a... There's no real, we have no way of knowing. To get technical, though, some people say, and these are the ones that advocate for sometimes who and sometimes that, that you'd use who when it's um, a relative clause, and that tends to be more for essential clauses. Can you explain that a little more? I'm not good at these terms. No, nor am I. <laughs> I in <laughs> fact, this is the point at which I usually get really tense and I get like my eyes glaze over. I've got to be honest. That's oh, Ross, do you want to explain quickly? Well, actually, let's start with a sentence. And we did Sean Hannity, who was correct. So let me just try to find. I have in the sentence. Wait a second. In, in the grammar of the sentence. Yeah, in the grammar <laughs> and of the we, sentence. Oh, incidentally, was... Fletcher, we were not listening to Sean Hannity. We read this in an article. I <laughs> okay. just wanted to stress that. Fair enough. <laughs> Again, no judgment. Yeah, Thank we're, no, you. We're not, we're not political here. We're very. Okay. This is a really interesting uh, debate in English again. And we go back to the idea that maybe there really isn't a rule, or is there a rule? Some people think so, some people don't. Okay, when you have. Well, let's do what's to a clause. Is a clause basically relates another part of a sentence to the previous part? Okay, let let's do one. Um, let's do a sentence here. The bike that I keep in the garage is ideal for short trips. Okay, this is from right. a blog right here. The clause is that I keep in the garage. The restrictive part is that we're referring only to a certain kind of bike. It's the bike that I keep in the garage. Right, specifically that bike. That bike. So mm -hmm. the bike that I keep in the garage is great for short trips. Now, 
the blog person put another clause in, which is a non-restrictive clause. They're also called integrated clauses. They're called all sorts of things. But a non-restrictive clause is now, I'm going to read it to you again. The bike, which I keep in the garage, is great for short trips. Now, in this case, the, we have a which here, and there's a comma around the clause. And the sentence is fine with that. The bike is ideal for short trips. That's the sentence that in itself is accurate. Right. You take out the middle part, and, and the sentence is still it fine. It works great, and, and it's sort of supplementary, the fact that I keep it in the garage. Who cares? Maybe I don't. But it's still a great bike for short trips. The other case is specific. The bike that I keep in the garage, that bike in the garage is great for short trips. And that's the difference between restrictive and non-restrictive. Okay. Now, this is something that I definitely know when I am writing or when I am editing written work. That that the the difference between that and which and and when it should be used that's certainly not something that i think about in speech or or even when other people are speaking but but it is it, it is something that i that i knew i guess without knowing what the rule was called uh again in writing um and and certainly there there are a lot a lot a lot of people who don't recognize that now going back to what we said to begin with is this a real rule? That's what I was just going to jump in with. It actually, I like, I always have been confused with which and that. I've got to admit it. It's one of those things that when we write, copy editors often correct me with my witches and that's. That said, they don't actually have to correct me for my witches and that's. It's become a rule until the um, about the 18th century, which and that were interchangeable. There was like, no one cared about is it a restrictive clause or is it non-restrictive or essential or non-essential. So it's become a rule of sorts, but it's actually one of those sort of nitpicky ones that a lot of people will correct you on, but you really can get away with it either way. Kathy's point is, is very well taken, and it really began, like she said, in the 1800s, and then Strunk and White, uh, which is that famous uh, uh, grammar book that everyone got in high school or early college, have the witch in that, as a, not as a rule, but as a, gr a very strong suggestion. Fowler, the other great... Um, I was going to say, the Fowlers were the pushies. The Fowlers were the pushies, but they suggested it. They didn't say so. And, I mean, th there is some v validity to it. In The Guardian, for example, in England, they had a, a, a sentence, and they were arguing for the restrictive clause, that which distinction. And I'm going to read it to you guys, and let's think about it. All molecules which are drugs bind to receptors. All molecules that are drugs bind to receptors. Now, their argument here is that the which and that here are very crucial. They can change the meaning if I mean, if you're at least paying attention closely. Exactly. Because can you repeat the sentence? I want to hear it again. All molecules which are drugs bind to receptors. All molecules that are drugs bind to receptors. Now, the argument was that if it's a non-restrictive clause, if it's a restrictive clause, we're saying that all molecules are drugs. And they're not all drugs. I mean, there are lots of molecules that aren't drugs. Wait, wait. The restrictive clause is the is the that, correct? Right. Well, then that doesn't seem... Strangely, it seems the opposite to me. All molecules... That's what I thought. All molecules that are drugs, meaning all the molecules that happen to be drugs. Right. right? Exa no, exactly. So but if we say all molecules which are drugs bind to receptors, we're changing the meaning to some degree. Right, right. But are you? See, to me, I don't think, I mean, I know technically, according to what that thing says, they are, but to me, it doesn't sound like all molecules which are drugs. I'm saying those molecules which happen to be drugs. To, to me, that's the opposite. To me, all molecules which are drugs feels like 
you're saying all molecules, period, are drugs. Mm-hmm. All molecules which are not drugs. Correct. Right. And in the other case, all molecules that are drugs, meaning those molecules that happen to be drugs, while some some are not. But that's what it should be. It should be all molecules that are drugs bind to receptors. Because there we're saying it's a restrictive clause. We're saying that all molecules that happen to be drugs bind to receptors. Otherwise, the other molecules can do whatever they want to do. They can bind or not bind, as the case may be. But they're not drugs. When you say that are drugs, you're saying some molecules are drugs and some are not. When you say all molecules which are drugs, that as a clause, you're saying all molecules are drugs. All molecules are drugs. And and herein lies the problem. It gets really confusing. Yeah. (laughs) People's heads are spinning right now. (laughs) Yeah, my head is spinning. See, this is when I start panicking. This is why English worries me a lot. Go on, Ross. It does. And then then I got to the point where I noticed a a sentence. I was going to read it to Kathy and you, and I'm not sure now. Strunk and White in that in their little grammar book are saying restrictive clauses should be have a that to begin it, and should don't have a comma around it. Rest, uh, non-restrictive clauses have a comma. Then I read this opening mm-hmm. with Strunk, and I'm wondering is he wrong here or not? I'm going to read it to you guys. I got confused right now. Um, students profit most by individual instruction, based on the problems of their own work. And each instructor has his own body of theory, which he prefers to that offered by any textbook. Each instructor has his own theory, which he prefers to that offered by any textbook. Shouldn't it be his own body of theory that he prefers? Well, now, you see, if you go by the Fowlers, the Fowlers say you can if you can use that or which you can use which if as and i'm going to quote them when custom euphony or euphony how would you pronounce that euphony or euphony or convenience is against that i would argue that which is more euphonious there okay i'll give you that wouldn't you (laughs) trust me ross trust me (laughs) i think we really need to make a distinction here between speech and writing because when, when you're speaking the difference between which and that is not necessarily as as strong when you're writing i mean you have punctuation right you have those com- mm-hmm. you have those commas that create that clause and, and and that makes a big difference in the meaning i agree i think that you should but i, I tend to more agree with miriam webster even further including writing i was just going to say that you can that. use which or that Either way to introduce a restrictive clause. It doesn't really matter anymore. The restrictive clause, yes. So no no, no commas in, in this case. And then which introduces always, uh, I mean, you know, if you're going to use that, a non-restrictive clause. And if yeah. you can avoid, if you, don't, you know, if you don't want to use either, that's fine too. But I think that we say, I think we can say that we doesn't really matter for restrictive clauses. Don't put a comma in for restrictive clause and use which or that, whichever you which, whichever you is more euphonious. <laughs> yeah, I think I can be okay with that. I when I when I do edit other people, I have changed the which to that when we're using a restrictive clause. But I think I can be okay with using either in a restrictive clause. Obviously, which needs to be used in the non-restrictive clause when we've got the commas right. in the sentence. Exactly. Yeah. And okay. also, I think we should use which with a personal <laughs> referent. I mean, we can't say the people uh, which speak French. 
we would never use which there either. We'd always say who speak French. Right. We would go well, back, to, we the go back to the who and that, yeah, which yeah. is where we started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, the people, the people that speak French seems fine as well. That's perfectly it does. fine too. We all agreed on this so far. Well, what <laughs> we've done so far is thrown out two rules that we're saying you don't have to follow. Them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I need a martini. Yeah, <laughs> <I was like. laughs> I want to throw one more thing out too with the witch and that, um, some really, really uh, dedicated uh, student of English went through which with um, restrictive clauses. And mm. Charles Dickens, he counted uh, 1,921 lines that introduced which as a uh, restrictive clause, theoretically incorrectly. 11%. Alice in Wonderland, 1,600 lines. Moby Dick, 10,263 lines. Wuthering Heights, Bronte, 7,599 lines. So therefore, we're getting to the point that people frequently use which, the best English writers frequently use which to introduce restrictive clauses. And I don't you know, recall anyone having a fit about uh, Christmas Carol or Moby Dick being bad English. Interestingly, though, I don't know about you guys, but this one seems to me to be one that like the so-called grammar police get a little wacky on. I mean, I see it like in social media a lot of times people sort of going like, aha, I caught you with this. Yep. And, and this the reason I really am glad we're talking about this is it's a good retort now to say, ha ha, you're wrong, <laughs> you know? Although, and, and interesting what Kathy just said along those lines, Ann Coulter a few years back criticized a writer who wrote, the GOP is not the party which idolizes um, Ivy League acceptability as the criterion of intellectual fitness. She said it should have been that in that case and uh, said that the writer was trying to act like he was an Ivy Leaguer, but wasn't an Ivy Leaguer because he used which instead of that in those cases. So we do see people being attacked for, quote, misusing which and that. Mm -hmm. But I think this sort of witch hunting is not a very good idea. <laughs> oh, cute. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> but in this case, that that is... That is an attack on someone who broke a rule that doesn't actually exist, correct? Precisely. And I think we need to sort of lay that to rest. But shall we or will we lay this to rest? <laughs> oh, I see what you did there, Ross. <laughs> well, that's oh. a very good question, and I don't know the answer. <laughs> shall and will is one that really interests me because I'm a shall user a lot. I mean, and then, I mean, and not in the way of Gandalf, like you shall not pass. But I mean, I say, yes, I shall. I shall go. I, I do. Do you, do you don't say shall as much, do you, Ross? No, I don't. What about you, Fletcher? Are you a shall user? I never say shall. And tell me, I mean, tell me, A, if there's a difference, and B, if uh, one should be used in place of the other in any particular case. Well, the short thing is the traditional rule is that with first-person pronouns, I and we, you use shall for the future tense. And with second and third persons, you, he, she, it, they, it's will <laughs> for future tense. So I shall be going. You will be going. I had no idea. I, I, I honestly had no idea about that. But this is where it gets really annoying. Oh, boy. If you're like if you want to show that you're strongly determined to do something, it's the opposite. First person, um, first person, I and we get will. I will be doing that. <laughs> Whereas the second and third persons get the shall. We shall be doing that. 
<laughs> so that's why most people nowadays just use them interchangeably and pay no attention to that oh. that old fashioned. It's it's really confusing. And then also, I mean, let's be real here. We go back to the difference between writing and conversation. More often than that, we don't say I will. We'll say I'll. I mean, you know, we use the contraction conversationally. I'll do that. So, yeah. So I mean, so the shall we will sort of distinctions gotten really blurred. That said, though, I do use shall, I must say. And that distinction really does come mostly from the, the 1800s and the grammarians. Can I bore you guys with like a little piece saying how wonderfully, uh, uh, how wonderful this, this rule is from a, from a writer from the 1880s? Please do. Let the reader follow me in illustrating this rule, and its, valiant, and its value will soon be apparent to him. Notice the him. There's no him or her or they or whatever. I will take the old story of the man who fell into the water and who exclaimed, I will be drowned and nobody shall save me. In the phrase, I will be drowned, the speaker is the nominative to the verb, but he did not mean to determine its accomplishment. He had no intention of being drowned, hence the impropriety of using will. In the phrase, nobody shall save me, the speaker was not the nominative to the verb, neither did he intend to determine its accomplishment, therefore he should not... He could not, with propriety, use the word shall. He should have said, I shall be drowned and nobody will save me. Now, <laughs> as I'm drowning, determining shalls and I wills. I think you should care about the proprieties for us. <laughs> and I think that sort of sums up the impropriety of worrying about shall or will. Yeah, I think I'd be splashing and crying, <laughs> screaming, help. <laughs> but that's another thing I found, speaking of just confusing, I found it in the Fowlers, the Fowlers who we often refer to, their modern English usage trying to explain it. And it said, in the first person, shall has, from the early mid Middle English period, been the normal auxiliary for expressing mere futurity without any adventitious notion, which means nothing to me. So we go back to just like you can interchange them. Except, I, I think, although uh, it's still used legally, the shell. That was I was just going to say that. And some legal writers are now saying that that should be also expunged from from legal writing as well, because the the meanings are getting so vague and we're getting so uncertain of what they actually mean. Uh, but it does oh, really? generally shell does in, generally indicate a command. Yeah, it identifies contractual obligation. Yeah, you shall do that you know, whatever. And that's still in general use. I found those shells um, mainly when I checked them in the I corpus of um, contemporary English. Shell seems to mainly be in fantasy novels and romance novels. It's huge in them. And I think it's because it has that like we shall talk. We shall see. We shall see, obviously, is the other time you see shell a fair amount. Mm -hmm. Just as like, you know, a, so what's going to happen? But very big in... Um, like books with titles like Night Wanderer and Love's Betrayal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. It also tends to be used in England more, too. Is it? So, I mean, I've noticed that, too. It's much more in English literature than... Um, it's used much more commonly in the UK than here. And they use the example... But they also use the example, again, what Kathy said. It's also a request for information. Shall I play uh, my violin? Has, like, a sense of... of should I nowadays we would say should I play my violin as an offer yes. a suggestion will I play the violin means I don't know will you or not yeah because now the one other thing I checked was the uh, Google Ngram book viewer and found that at the beginning I shall and I will were tied in about 1805 but then in around 1811 will took off and now it's used about 10 times more often than shall in books except for as I said those romances and fantasies Okay, this has been this has been quite an episode. I think I do need a hard drink and an aspirin, but let's take uh, let's just take a look back 
over these things that we've talked about uh, just so we can get them clear because it has been it has been quite a lot. We started talking about she's the person that's really leading the Democratic Party and and I thought it ought to be she's the person who's really leading the Democratic Party. But in this case, uh, both of you have said this is not actually a rule and either one is correct. Precisely. Okay. Now, when we move on to which and that, we're talking about restrictive and non-restrictive clauses, which which this is when my head really started to spin. <laughs> but when we're talking about restrictive clauses, you can use which or that. Either one is fine. Yes, mm -hmm. although a lot of copy editors, if you write that, a lot of copy editors will change if you use which for a restrictive clause, something that's really linked to the to the noun, and instead of that, they'll change it. Almost and I always. am one of those I am one of those copy editors, but what you're telling me is that I don't actually need to make that change. You don't. No. That's good to know. I very much value editing, but sometimes less editing is more important. And so it's it's good to know that that is not actually a rule. However, when it's a non-restrictive clause, when when you're looking at it in print and it's got those commas around the clause, you do definitely need to use which. Know that. Correct. Exactly. And then Shall and will. Uh, at some point, shall should have been used for, you said, first person. So I shall and and we shall. Is that correct? Right. For to, for the future tense. For the future tense. And then, and then for the others, you would have used will. So you will and they will. And then in terms correct. of things like what you should do, it would be reversed. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it got really cute and fancy <laughs> and that's where i think it, we both say just forget it yeah most importantly at this point we can just forget it we it's it's not it's not a big deal which one you use ever uh, you know yes. exactly we shall forget it. if you're writing a romance you might want to throw shells in to look good. yeah <laughs> unless right. you're writing really a romance really. or a fantasy because otherwise you won't seem legit right, <laughs> right. <laughs> you got to get your bona fides in there This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at powell at KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. The book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press, and you can find that and Kathy and Ross Petrus's newest book, That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means, at your local independent bookstore. Kathy and Ross have written a lot more. They've got a number of other things either coming out soon or in the works. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. Oh, and one more thing. There toward the end, Kathy and Ross mentioned shall and will in legal language. And I was just a little curious, so I looked it up and found an entry on the Federal Aviation Administration's website. Yeah, that seems random, but more on that in a second. I found an entry talking about how the words must and must not are the only legal words that definitely impose legal obligation. It says shall is too ambiguous because it can mean may, will, or must, and that even though law schools, at least until recently, taught that shall was okay to use, it shouldn't be used in a legal context. Even the Supreme Court ruled that shall can mean may, and so yeah, if you really want to get across the idea that something has to happen, use must and only must. 
But back to the FAA thing. It seemed weird to me that this is where I would find that information until I looked down and saw the post was written by the administration's plain language program manager. Now, first of all, I adore the fact that this position exists. He's there to ensure that documents from the FAA can be easily understood by the public. And it turns out, and, and maybe you knew this, but I didn't, and it's great, the Federal Plain Writing Act passed into law in 2010, mandating that federal agencies use, quote, clear government communication that the public can understand and use. And while this doesn't apply to regulations, two executive orders from the Clinton years emphasize the need for plain language. This is very cool, because I think a lot of people assume stuff from the federal government is pretty impenetrable, and this is a clear effort to make it less so. And I think, or I hope, that's something that we can all get behind. Or is it something which we can all get behind? Something behind which we can all get? Okay, at least I know we've covered that last one. I'm ending my sentences with prepositions, darn it. <laughs>